1: to the Podcast bed Family. I'm Eric Acker, the host with Karen, with me again today. Hey guys. Still very pregnant, still not due for another week? Two weeks? Almost. Uh,
0: Greater ten, than... Uh, nine days.
1: Nine days. Okay. We're, yeah, we're getting close. I, I keep getting asked this question by some of my fellow residents and... I, I don't have a great answer and
0: <laughs> whenever the baby comes. Whenever <laughs> the
1: baby comes. I, I I say like it's like the thirteenth or something like that. Yeah. I think that's about the due date. Yep. So
0: we will see. Yeah.
1: We get asked that question often. Like, when's baby due? And then like are you excited nervous how are you preparing for it i'm like yeah, at this point it just takes care of itself um, <laughs> it's not exactly the truest statement but we, we do have karen's uh, mom coming into town and she'll be i'm sure a lot of help and i will be taking a week off once the baby decides to start sh- trying to show up and i know I, I get asked this every now and then with like why just a week why not longer um so I think ACGME does allow for paternity leave or maternity leave depends on, you know, which end you're coming from. But, uh, so you are allowed to have it. I think it's like six weeks or something like that without having any, I, I don't know if it's just ACGME or if just my program, but we are allowed to have up to six weeks of time off without affecting your graduation. Um, so it, the difficulty here though is uh, essentially kind of the way your pros and cons here and we it's paid so I, I wouldn't my salary wouldn't be like disappear or anything but um if i were to take oh, the way our system works is that you do have to take all your pto um when you do your do this time off so you have to take it all your rest of your pto and then you can take the additional extra weeks Uh, and you know then you come back and the problem I have with that is that a we have kids who have get sick occasionally Karen will get sick occasionally so I may have to take sick days here and there Uh, additionally uh, that would mean for the next six months I couldn't take any extra time off Uh, so if I was feeling a little burned out last week I would basically have a six month stretch where I wouldn't have any days off besides whatever was built into the schedule. So no vacations, no nothing. Uh, and we had kind of already planned out this year to have like a week off every three or so months so that we wouldn't get too uh, out of control. Uh, so anyway, we're kind of playing it by year, but right now we're thinking maybe about a week. Uh, most of Karen's pregnancies have been pretty unremarkable. Um, <laughs> uh, not unremarkable, but like not. not not very complicated and with Karen's mom being in town um, didn't want to take off a whole lot of extra time and then lastly I think I'm on a pretty relaxed rotation as it is like it's not very time demanding uh, I'm on pulmonology right now and then the next few rotations weren't really all that time demanding so it's a uh, like I would be able to be home pretty often I think over the next few weeks. And so that, that way, Karen would actually have a little extra help at home. Uh, obviously, if I took the whole weeks off, I would be, you know, home all the time. I suppose, but uh, <laughs> maybe not the best explanation I have. But
0: well, Eric also I, there are there's things to do at home, and obviously, as we have had more kids, there's more things that he can do at home. But um, in the past, he gets a little stir crazy if. He
1: I, I, I get annoying, I think is <laughs> the right word to use. <laughs> Not
0: annoying. If you're just he he doesn't I
1: you need to spend time with nursing, taking care of the baby, recovering yourself from
0: And that's the, a lot of at home time and Eric likes to go do and do things. things. So um we learned quickly after our first that uh don't need as much time <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Eric can go do those things but that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to go do those yes. things yes <clears throat> so so yeah so a week can... is about a good amount of time and then I mean we can always change our minds if we need to
1: yeah yeah um, with the the baby coming here soon we Karen's been we've been trying to get make sure Karen gets to her appointments uh it's hard because the office is like no extra people in the office no husbands no kids which is interesting i'm sure that that will work out great postpartum um but
0: yeah <laughs> that is the one thing that i just don't quite understand because not if, just
1: the one thing there's there's more well than, there's I more mean. than one thing yes <laughs>
0: um but yeah it's been interesting um we had two babysitters one has is gone for the next 6 months and the other one is a mom, and so while her kids were on break, she was not working, and so we had a hard time the last few weeks. But yeah, yeah, it's
1: just been interesting. I'm sure the the OB uh, will be fine, and everything will be just fine for the delivery. I just, it's always fun when you, Karen would tell me some stories about how they, I think they've tested her three times for. <laughs> like it's it's pretty normal when you go into an OBGYN that they do basic lab tests, including STDs, even if you don't have any symptoms or anything like that. They just that's kind of a basic screening. It's it goes like on. your
0: first visit. They do all the but blood like parents had stuff. like
1: three of them now, and it's like no extra history. There's no extra story. It's like that would be concerning. There's no extra symptoms that would be concerning. They're just like. Whenever we draw labs, we just go ahead and grab, grab these labs, too. <laughs> you know I pay for these, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> it's just
0: weird. And, like, I asked this last time. I was like, is there a reason why? Because it makes no sense to me. <laughs> like, and they're like... It's just- I, I
1: mean, I could be missing something in the guidelines. <laughs> I don't know if I'm forgetting a, a key guideline that says just go ahead and retest. But... Um, and then karen was looking over her diagnoses because you have the online portal and i'm sure it's like d- dangerous for we, we i know when we have patients on the floor that look over p- our notes uh after we sign them and everything they they comment on that but karen has like grand multi-perry as on, on one of her i just thought it was funny because like multi-perry you know multiple pregnancies but grand <laughs> it's like man we we have six this would be number six so I, I i guess that's more than usual but that's kind of funny um sorry i don't mean to be like very rude oh you're no, fine it, it just, it's kind <laughs> of a funny one i saw but yeah it's it's interesting um we'll see how it goes then uh, there's another one that was on there It was like no one ever mentioned it so it's like it's one of those things where it's like you probably should mention that to your patient um tell them that you're worried about that or you're thinking about it before you just put it on there whatever who knows um in any case (laughs) um the the pregnancy has been going just fine we're getting close to due date no contractions or anything like that so we're just kind of keep an eye on things until Baby comes. Uh, hopefully, we will find out where to go. I I think, like it's fourth floor. Fourth floor. We just walk in, go to the fourth floor.
0: That's what they told me. Go to the fourth floor. Okay, I'm, that was all the direction I got. <laughs> so yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> um. <laughs> I figure you work at the hospital. At some point, you could probably just. I walk up to the fourth floor suppose. and figure it out. I mean, I, I could
1: dodge <laughs> my way up there, but I don't know if that's the, the appropriate way to do it. But that's okay; we'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> like you just <clears throat> go in the front door and be like, because we have to. Go, whenever you come into the hospital, we have like security screens. Like you just like, hey, I need to go to the fourth floor to deliver a baby, and they're like, okay. Uh, is that how that's supposed to work? I don't know.
0: I would assume so. That was how it worked that I was getting my iron infusions is that they'd be like, why are you here? I'm here for the infusion clinic. Okay. Okay. we'll, we'll find out. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. In any case, uh, it's been, it's been going, going well, I suppose. I, I like I mentioned, I, I started this week on, uh, pulmonology. I'm with Another resident that I've been with uh, pretty often during this first year. He's I mentioned him a few times. He's from Cairo. He's a fantastic resident. <laughs> he's a, he's a he's a intern that makes us all look terrible, but he he has a lot of experience under his belt, and so it's been great having working with him on pulmonology because like he kind of knows all the ins and outs of everything and. So even when my attending isn't exactly doing a lot of teaching, I have him there that I can bounce ideas off of and he can provide some teaching as well. So it's been good and not too uh, bad, even on like our quote unquote bad day. So um, I was asking him what like the worst, like how many consults, because that's essentially how it is. We, we get consults and we go see the consults and we present to the attendings and we might round again later in the evening, depending on the attending. Um, but essentially that's how the day goes. We get consults, we go see the consults, we report back, we write our notes, uh, and if we have procedures, we try to do the procedures. Um, so it's essentially what how it has been. I asked him like how many consults, you know, on the, on their worst day in the last couple of weeks. And they said like six consults total. So it just me and another resident. So that's split up three, three. And that was like their worst day. And we've had... Um, I think yesterday we had seven, so three and four. And then the day before we had six. Today we had one. So (laughs) it's uh, hit and miss. And then some of the consults are better than others. Some of them are like, man, this is very concerning. This is a lung cancer with a massive pleural fusion, et cetera, et cetera. So you can get ones where you're like, we, we can probably do a thoracentesis on this patient. That'd be fun. And then there's others that are like, this is heart failure with some pleural effusion. Keep in the patient. <laughs> Consult us again if you need us, but otherwise we, you, we don't really need to follow you in this patient. And there's other ones that are like, hey, this patient's COPD and they're having difficulty breathing, but they also see Cape Fear uh, Cape Fear Pulmonology. So can you come see the patient? Like you already see him in clinic. Why don't you come see him while they're in the hospital? It's like there's there's no reason. <laughs> but we will, sure. <laughs> um, and in some of those cases, it's like, hey, yeah, um, their home medi- home medication regimen is this. You, we can probably restart that while they're here. It's, you know, if you if you're interested in dealing with the COPD exacerbation, we can <laughs> we can put them back on the home medications as opposed to just dual nebs only. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not trying to be derogatory or anything like that it's just kind of an example of how some some of the consults are less strenuous than the others other ones are just like there's a lot going on here there's we have a cancer we have a cancer in a patient who keeps leaving ama and comes back <laughs> in a worse worse condition and keeps refusing to do treatments keeps refusing tests you refusing food and all, like, also it's just like crazy stuff that keeps going on it's just like ah you makes it a little bit more complicated but um the consulting life is actually pretty nice uh, honestly it's essentially here's my recommendation and you know we can make we can pivot a little bit just like in infectious disease you give recommendations for antibiotics and then if the patient's like, I want to go home, you can kind of go, OK, well, we're we, we, if it would be best if we had a PICC line in and the patient got antibiotics for the, the PICC line for this number of days and follow up in clinic. And the patient's like, I ain't doing that. And you go, OK, well, I guess the next best option, we're, we're trying to give you the best oral medication that we can give you. It's not going to be the, the best option for you, but if it's the best option for a patient who's going to leave and doesn't want a PICC line, doesn't want to follow up so that's the next best option <laughs> um, so in any case that's uh, is it that's essentially like kind of pulmono- uh, pulmonology is not ID obviously but but you know you make recommendations you you try to adjust recommendations based on the patient's willingness to do certain things and then you go from there um, so it, it is nice in that regard and uh, very rarely Um, is there I mean in the different specialties obviously will have different things like ID there's rarely an infection infectious disease emergency that you need to call an ID doctor out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning to come to the hospital to take care of Uh, because you know in the end of the day it's just put the patient on broad spectrum antibiotics and we'll consult in the morning. <laughs> uh, and obviously like cardiology is different. You know, you've to, you, there are plenty of cardiac emergencies and pulmonology. I think there's a little bit less in the pulmonology emergencies, obviously like acute respiratory failure and stuff like that would be the thought you would think like, Oh, well that's pulmonology pulmonology. We want to get involved in that. Like no, that's bread and butter internal medicine, you know, Every day, internal medicine deals with patients who are in acute respiratory failure. ICU deals with that, you know, every day as well. You don't need the pulmonologist to deal with a lot of that stuff because the basic answers are put them on BiPAP, give them oxygen, and support the breathing as best as possible. If they start going hypoxic, they can't, they start going into respiratory failure where they can't, they're no longer able to breathe, they tire out, intubate them, and then have the machine breathe for them. Uh... I mean it's very dumbed down and there's definitely more nuance than that but essentially like that's that's kind of how it goes you don't necessarily need a pulmonologist to be hand holding you through the entire thing so uh, point being there is not too many I'm not aware of any major like you have to wake up a pulmonologist in the middle of the night to come into the hospital to do something like they can wait until the morning generally speaking uh but yeah, I I've I definitely been coming off of nights, having coming off of floors, <laughs> and then clinic. Um, definitely like the consult mentality or the consult lifestyle. It's um, kind of nice, and especially if you have like a, a nurse practitioner or a PA that's working with you, like you can see a new consult, start a plan you can have your nurse practitioner see some of the follow-ups you can see some of the follow-ups you guys work together develop plan obviously you need to have someone you trust and you you, you trust their assessments and what they see and um, the more complicated patients maybe you do see but all in all you can not it's not too terrible i think that lifestyle can be pretty good um yeah generally speaking, that's. The consult life seems pretty nice, honestly. <laughs> uh, I Because, mean, again, like a lot of the things I don't like about the floors, like the complicated medis- medicine causes a little bit of anxiety, obviously, but it's just a lot of the social issues that are, like, obviously you have to deal with, someone has to deal with it. These are patients who, um, you know, have, they need to be cared for, and part of their care involves some of these social issues, and everyone has some level of complication, but it's like... Oh, they're sundowning, or they're pulling out their IVs. They want to leave AMA. They want to do this and that. It's just like that sounds like a primary team problem. <laughs> it does not sound like a consultant problem. Um, so like you don't really have to deal with a lot of those other issues. I mean, you do in a way, but not in total. Um, so like your patient starts pulling out lines, primary team is going to start dealing with that. Patient wants to leave AMA, primary team is going to get deal with that. Patient can't get placed into a facility, primary team is going to deal with that. So, <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah. <clears throat> so it is interesting kind of the um, transition through med school, like what you think when you start med school, what you think you want to do versus like the experiences that you have and how that shapes what you actually want to do. Because I think at one point, probably on this podcast, uh, between like third and fourth year, you were like, hospitalists wouldn't be too bad. And I feel like a lot of your fellow cohort (laughs) said the same thing. And I think now after having worked... (laughs) you're not so sold on hospitalists. It's
1: it's tough because you do, like when, when I did my hospitalist rotation in third year, it seemed really nice. Like you basically, you followed a group of hospitalists that were employed by the hospital and there was maybe like four and they would take care of a good chunk of the patients. I think 15 patients each. They would get up in the morning, get to the hospital around seven. They would round on their patients they would write their orders they would do their notes and then if you were very quick you could be done by one o'clock and one of them would stay and cover all the patients and then do admissions on top of that and you know and everyone else would go home so theoretically you could work seven to one like and then you would just answer phone calls and text messages until the night person came on and that's essentially how your shift would be, and that sounded like oh well that doesn't sound too bad, and and maybe it's because of the hospital. Like you work at a small community hospital, uh, maybe the issues aren't so grand. Uh, you don't have super super sick patients. Um, I don't know. I mean, that was my. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like we had incredibly sick patients uh, that we saw, and maybe I wasn't able to recognize them. But essentially, that's all we did a uh, day, you know, for a few days, and then you know the one off, uh, random off day, you would be on admissions and take patients and work till seven p.m. So it'd be a, f- a true twelve-hour day. But it was like once a week, so like in the mentality it was like, oh well, you do seven days, seven days, uh, seven days on, seven days off, and really on the seven days on, you worked seven to f- seven to one. <laughs> And on your random day, you work a 12 hour shift. Like, that's actually pretty nice. That's pretty good hours. It seemed like a pretty good lifestyle. Um, But then when you work in these giant hospitals, and I don't know again, I don't know if it's because I didn't recognize the patients and how frustrating uh, some of the social stuff can be and all the extra things that were going on. Maybe I wasn't exposed to it uh, because we kind of, it was, we would show up, look at the patients. See the patients with the attending, and the attending would dismiss us by a certain point. So maybe we are missing some of the communications. We weren't really privy to the conversation with the nurses. We weren't privy to a lot of different things. So it's very possible that we just weren't seeing the grand scheme of things. But yeah, I think I definitely said on this podcast that hospitals would be something I might be interested in. Now looking at it, you get into this big hospital and. You have a a very sick population, and you see this seven days on, seven days off, and you're just like, I don't know, like, it almost feels like I would be working a true 12 for seven days. And that may or may not be true. I I definitely have seen uh, posts on Reddit that basically say it depends on which group you sign up for, how your, your group is structured, how your hospital structures things. Um, obviously, there's all different ways to organize and structure taking care of patients that may make it a little bit lighter for some people on certain days, and you can share the weight uh, and load and whatnot. Like Some hospitals, I think, have dedicated rapid response teams and whatnot so that if you were the hospitalist for a certain patient and they had a rapid response called on them, that rapid team would show up, you wouldn't have to be required to be in the hospital, et cetera. So <laughs> I think there's there's ways to do hospitalists that are less stressful than how we do hospitalists on the floors. Uh, and of course, uh, as you have more confidence and more experience, uh, you can probably be more efficient. Um, but in any case, there's <laughs> been there's definitely people like, I feel like when I've been on the floors, it's like, there's a lot of sick patients. And a lot of things that are kind of more hands-on-y um, that uh, I'm not necessarily working, looking to have less work per se. I'm just looking right now. The value system is work that I enjoy, but have a good work-life balance. Like I don't mind working hard when I'm working. Like if I show up and I have uh, wall-to-wall appointments and then you know, or I see one patient do a procedure, I see another patient do a procedure, whatever it is, like I would be fine with that, but just as long as like I could have a weekend off or I could have a few days off that I could be with the family and feel like I'm part of the family again and do other things and other hobbies, and uh, where you know I'm not just a doctor 100% of the time, so I think. I don't know if that's really changed per se. I think definitely the motivation to have that is changed. In, in any case, um, uh, pulmonology I think is as much as I, I like pulmonology. I like the consult um, lifestyle. I don't think I would really do pulmonology. It's it's interesting. I just I don't know if it's interesting enough for me. Uh, not, not interesting enough. I, I just I don't have pulmonology is not really my strong suit i tend to like hearts a little bit more than i like lungs and uh and uh, you get to do some procedures in pulmonology like you get to do bronchoscopies thoracentesis uh, and maybe a few other things here and there but um, and then you have your poem clinic and your your nodule clinic if you want to do nodules and you can search for that however you want like the the people we follow they have like a pulmonary nodule clinic where pa- patients who have found pulmonary nodules on previous imaging will come back in, follow up. They might do bronchoscopies. They might do other procedures. They take uh, biopsies and whatnot. Uh, and then, they, of course, they have their actual clinic where they see patients who have pulmonary needs so like COPD, uh, fibrosis, etc. cetera. Um, so, you know.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I was just... I just found it interesting because, <clears throat> like, you go through your medical school, you go through match, ha- ha- thinking. Excuse me, <clears throat> thinking one thing, but realistically speaking, um, you are still figuring out what you are going to do during your intern year and maybe even a little bit into your second year um, while you're applying for your fellowships and whatnot. But it is just interesting kind of talking to um, some other wives and seeing where their husbands are at and what they are now thinking. And I don't think Eric's plan has necessarily changed all that much. I think he always... We've, what, always, talked what about we've always talked about to some, cardiology to I mean, some extent. When,
1: once we got, uh, I think, halfway through third year, we we were cardiology.
0: But, <clears throat> and that was, I mean, you had some good uh, cardiology experience with your preceptors in third and fourth year, and um, it interested you. I think that's more the thing. It's not that, like, pulmonology is boring or not, or whatever, it's just, it doesn't pique your interest enough to, like, focus in on it, whereas... you really excited about it. (laughs) Whereas Eric got very excited about cardiology after he followed his first cardiologist, and he went out and he got, oh, what was that, that... Oh,
1: the, the echo... Stethoscope thing.
0: Yeah, and then you you got a couple other things. Yeah, and then he got a couple different books, and like, you really should like this is what you're going to be doing for a long time, and so you really should have an interest in it and <clears throat> find it fascinating. Otherwise, your job is just going to be a job that you do day in and day out, and <clears throat> yeah, you might have your bread and butter things, but you're always like. You're always going to look for the odd odd whatever and find it fascinating. Yeah, I, th-
1: I think the difficulty... Like, so a lot of people, when they're fourth year or third year, you're kind of looking at the match. And there's definitely people who kind of go in. They know what they want to do. Now, if your board scores support that direction, then that's great. Like When I started medical school, I knew I, I wanted to do orthopedics. I I worked orthopedics for m- multiple years. I understood it. It was... It was fun. It was interesting. Board scores and where I went to school did not support going to um, uh, into orthopedics. It's just the odds were 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 stacked against me. I wasn't going to devote three years of research um, post medical school in order to be into orthopedics and do five more years in orthopedics. Like I know there's going to be someone out there who's like, well, if you really want to do it you got to be devoted and you uh, show your devotion. You got to put in the time in the three years to show that you deserve to have a slot and then, you know, burn eight years of your life in total trying to get into orthopedics. Uh, That's fine. uh, For someone else, that's probably great. For me, I feel like I could be happy in a few different spaces. Um, Obviously, orthopedics wasn't going to work out. Um, There's always like sports medicine you can do, but it, it seems a little less fun from what I've experienced. Like, I've seen it, lifestyle, work-life balance is great, but maybe not the most, in, like, it, it, not intellectually challenging, so I went internal medicine because I wanted to do, I was thinking cardiology, at some point I was thinking maybe hospitalist, and internal medicine kind of gave you that opportunity to do that, and now that we're in internal medicine, I will say, if you are someone who isn't 100% sure what you want to do, and there's a few different things you think you might want to do, and like you've already kind of wrote out surgery. You've wrote out maybe OBGYN. Uh, you've out a lot of the other specialties, and board scores might have kind of, and where you went to school, might be pushing you in different directions. Um, total, medicine it's not a bad option because it's three years. You can leave and do hospitals. You can leave and be a primary care doctor. You can, can go back. Uh, you can do a fellowship. And you can do any of those things, and then go back and do a fellowship. Um, Like you can go work a year as a hospitalist, and then decide you you actually want to be a fellow and specialize in something. You can go and do that. And plenty of people who do who do that. Um, But I would say one of the nice things about it, because like sometimes in third year and fourth year medical school, you don't get as much exposure, and sometimes preceptors can ruin specialties for you. Uh, that you might have otherwise been excited for. And so going back into internal medicine, you have this opportunity to kind of spend a little bit more time being the doctor in these electives and these different fields that hopefully by the end of second year, you've had a good amount of exposure, and you you can either look at it and go, yeah, I'll be happy being a hospitalist, or I'll be happy being a primary care doctor. Or you can look at it and go, Hey, maybe I actually want to specialize and I didn't have very much exposure to nephrology. And now I have, I'm going to go to nephrology or I want to do GI and you can go down the GI route. You can be a cardiologist, you can do infectious disease,
0: critical care, critical
1: care, palliative care. Like I have zero palliative care experience, but a lot of people from my residency have kind of gone that direction and you can go that direction. Uh, palm crit, like Karen said, um, there's a whole a whole lot of different directions you can go once you're in internal medicine. I will say, obviously, some caveats here. <laughs> so um, if you wanted to do sports medicine, there are fellowships out there for internal medicine docs uh, to go into sports medicine. I think the the biggest difficulty or hurdle there is that internal medicine really kind of limits you to like 18 and older. And sports medicine, sometimes it's nice to be able to see patients who are... In the high school age range or younger, um, kind of gives you a lot bigger patient population. Uh, oftentimes in sports medicine, you want to s- kind of work with people who are more "quote unquote" athletic. Um, in any case, uh, being in internal medicine, going in sports medicine, you might have that kind of hang hangup. Um, if you did internal medicine, you're like, maybe I want to do inter- uh, emergency room. You know, I want I want to work in the ED. It's a bit harder again because of that. Age cutoff. We don't really train with kids, and so you can't. It. I don't. I have yet to find, and I haven't really looked all that hard because an ED doesn't particularly interest me that much. But I have yet to find any sort of emergency medicine fellowship that you could take from internal medicine. A lot. I've seen a few that will take family medicine fellows, and you can go into them, and you can be emergency medicine trained. Family medicine fellow, um, and then you can go work in EDs. I think generally it depends on your ED and your location. I've seen plenty of family medicine resi- uh, family medicine me- residency graduates who went on to work in EDs. Uh, so family medicine does offer you that advantage. Obviously, if you like working with kids, family medicine might be the way to go. Uh, you will open up a lot of op- uh, gold uh, doors for you, and then of course pediatrics has its own little. Um, Subspecialties. So if you like, I like working with kids, but I'm not sure if I want to specialize within pediatrics. Going pediatrics anyway. Like there's, there's definitely pediatrics, family medicine, internal medicine. Um, I think internal medicine has a lot of gateways to to springboard off of that allows you to maybe decide a little bit later on what you want to do after you've seen and gotten a little bit more exposure. Obviously, again, there's more caveats like family medicine. You can get an OBGYN certificate and do deliveries in more rural areas, and even I think up to C sections and stuff like that. Uh, We're in internal medicine. I don't think I've not heard of anything like that for internal medicine docs. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> and all, take into account all of this advice is given
1: as an intern, as
0: an intern and it's also given as <clears throat> we did have part of our med school during covid and so that did limit some of the exposure that eric had he was supposed to have more exposure <clears throat> but because in the hospital setting um but because of covid got less and i think that was a lot of people within Yeah, within the classes that the in the U.S. and overseas, wherever this within Eric's cohort and the year before, where with COVID (laughs) opportunities were a little bit more limited. So I don't know if now that all those restrictions or most of those restrictions are lifted, depending on where you are, um, if People are getting more exposure now than they did when we were going through it. But, but even
1: even if in the best of circumstances, sometimes like you just can't cover all the specialties.
0: No, you can't cover all the specialties, and quite frankly, intern year is hard, and it has everybody rethinking everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that is <there's> that too. <laughs> so, you always that have to keep too. that in the back of your mind. You might start. You might start residency thinking that you want to do something. And then maybe six months in, like I am, I'm just like you, you start wondering like, "Where's my, where my, where are my exits here? Like, what, <laughs> what, what, what's the easiest way out?" Um, and so, obviously, you have to kind of keep assessing and reassessing as you go along, and maybe how I feel today may not be how I feel in six months, um, right? But it, it does it does keep you mindful of like things can change and you should be open to the different experiences and reassessing like what values like what you were valuing maybe a year ago. Maybe that was idealistic, maybe that was um, foolishness and you need to relook at it and go, um, maybe I don't want to work that hard because there's definitely some specialties that work really, really hard. And it's good for them. They, we need people who work that hard in medicine. But you might be like, I don't think I can continue to work at that pace without burning out or like ruining marriages and stuff like that. And you they kind of take some assessments on what you think you can accomplish. And, and you know, you, you obviously we have goals. Uh, you wouldn't get into medicine unless you had some kind of goals and you were driven in some way. But at some point, you do have to assess, like, what is actually valuable in your life uh, beyond medicine. <laughs> and, you know, how can you accomplish those goals at the same time as being good at your job? Um, so anyway, just keep ass- assessing and reassessing. I'm not trying to say quit, quit residency, don't be a doctor. Um, <laughs> no. It's hard. I'm sure in three, four, five years, I'll look back on it and, go, you know, I'll be in a completely different state. I won't be working nearly as much or whatever it is. And I'll, I'll be like, it's worth it. You know, it's a lot of work, but, you know, you get through the end of it and it's great. Um, we'll see. We haven't gotten there yet. We'll see. <laughs> anyway. Um, anything else we wanted to cover before? Okay.
0: No. Well, probably be back next week.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, that would be the plan, we, you know, whatever the kid situation is, we'll try to. Work around that. But anyway, uh, if you want to follow the podcast, uh, MedFamilyMD on Instagram. And of course, our podcast is on all the major podcasting platforms. Um, We will see you guys next week.
0: Bye, guys.